Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL Edition Monday. I'm your host, Ian Hardy. It's ready to talk about this lovely spring league that just keeps on keeping on. As always, going to go through some of the key moments, players of the games, fantasy football workload notes, all that and more from these four games of action that, you know, it was an entertaining week four. Every single game came down in the final 70 seconds of action. Two of them came down in the final 10 seconds. Say what you want about this not being as good as the NFL or college football or the CFL, whatever the hell league you want to bring up, but we are seeing some competitive games go down the wire. And me, like you, a fellow hardcore football diehard fan, can enjoy them on a weekly basis. So thank you as always for tuning in. And let's get after it, everyone. First up, Philadelphia Stars took down the Michigan Panthers 26 to 25. My God, the fighting Jeff Fishers were one went away from getting back up to that 500 mark. Couldn't do it. Missed a 21-yard field goal at the end of regulation. Like, usually I feel like obligated to kind of talk about how much I hate kickers and how bad they are for the game. The USFL is just making it so it's like I'd be beating a dead horse because the kicking has been so atrocious on a weekly basis. And the watch Shea Patterson, Jeff Fisher, you know, really just be on the verge of getting back to 500 having a two game win streak to get all the way down the field and miss on a 21 yard field goal attempt. I mean, yeah, you don't need me to tell you just how bad of a feeling that must have been for the entire Michigan Panthers nation. But anyway, star of this game was Case Cook is taking over for Brian Scott. With Cookus, man, he can sling that ball downfield. I know there's like a hive of Cookus supporters. Maybe it's just um, uh, Arif, uh, love him on Twitter and everything uh, with what he's doing there. But anyway, uh, with Cookus, had a 39-yard touchdown to Devin Gray, basically using, you know, everyone's favorite video game play, the four verts. This was beautiful, just over the top of the defense. And then also later, ended up finding DeAndre Overton right before halftime, 41 yards on another four verts concept. So Case Cook is throwing downfield. He was two for three on passes, throwing at least 20 yards downfield. Both of those touchdowns I just mentioned, that should be the path for the Stars to stay competitive without Brian Scott out there. They're going to need to outscore everyone because this defense isn't slowing down just about anyone. Reggie Corbin was the Michigan Panthers offense in this one, had over 100 yards for back-to-back weeks. Big play in this one was 88 yards to the house, took basically an outside zone along the right side of the defense and just outran everyone else. So Shea Patterson had a couple good runs himself that was the best thing he was bringing to the table had a nifty touchdown run where he made a couple guys miss had like a good 30 yard chunk where he actually reversed field later and made one extremely good pass to Joe Walker, 11-yard touchdown when he was rolling out. So Patterson, when he leaves the pocket, usually goes to his right, but he makes good things happen as an athlete in the open field. It's actually working within the structure of the offense. But to be fair, I don't think the Michigan Panthers are exactly setting him up for a ton of success. Lance Lenore probably is, you know, out there disagreeing. Doubt he's listening to this podcast, but you could imagine. Uh, but just everything that, you know, uh, Patterson's being asked to do, I don't think he was made to run this, you know, tight end spread heavy offense. Let the dude be a part of the run game. Let him get outside the pocket. Maybe some more goodness would happen. So again, Case Cook is making big plays downfield. Brian Corbin doing his thing on the ground. Ultimately could not make a 21-yard field goal. And that's why the Stars are now 2-2, two and two, I believe. Case Cookus and Reggie Corbin, players of the game, already talked enough about these guys. But yeah, Reggie Corbin, people, just 21 total rushing yards in weeks one through two combined. Last two weeks, he has gone for 133 and a touchdown. And then on Sunday, or Friday night, excuse me, 
154 yards and a score on the ground. Only Jordan Ellis, Mark Thompson, and Reggie Corbett above 300 plus rushing yards after four weeks of action. Shout out two stars, cornerbacks Channing Stripling and Evan Worthington, defensive players of the game, two of just three players to receive a PFF grade north of 90 on the week. Now, with some fantasy football workload stuff with the Stars, mentioned Case Cook is fully taking over for Brian Scott, one of the few situations in the league where we know a quarterback's going to be playing 100% of the snaps. Don't be afraid to go the well here in DFS. They're still going to be throwing the piss out of the ball, regardless of who is under center. Paul Terry, once again, working as the lead RB1 with Darnell Holland, missing time, I believe, with that hamstring injury. However, last week, Terry was like north of 80% snaps and really featured on all three downs. We saw Matt Colburn this week, second week back from injury, have a greater effect. Keep an eye on these running backs and players in general when they come back from injury. If we see the snap rate is pretty low, not all that rare for them then the second week back in action to get up to, to more normal levels. So Paul Terry, as long as Holland remains out, continues to be a number one back in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, but he is not like the lead lead back. Certainly still looking like a two-player committee with him and Colburn. At wide receiver, Jordan Sewell, Devin Gray, DeAndre Overton, and Bug Howard, who is called a tight end, but basically is used as a wide receiver. That's your four wide receiver sets. I mean, Chris Rowland was awesome in week one. Maurice Alexander was awesome in week two. They're out of the picture. It's Sewell, Gray, Overton, and Bug Howard. Those are your pass catchers you want to target here in Fantasyland. With the Panthers, Shea Patterson out there for every single snap, only because Paxton Lynch missed this game with an ankle injury. I do think Patterson will be back to the bench once Paxton Lynch is healthy enough to return at running back. Full-blown 3RB committee. I mean, none of these guys have 40% snaps or routes. We got Cameron Scarlett leading the way in routes. Corbin leading the way in rush attempts. Absolute mess that Corbin has made the most out of just off of big plays. So these are the exact type of situations that we try to fade moving forward, you know, a lot of people are going to be on Corbin after these back-to-back big performances. But if you look at his just volume numbers, like we would never expect him to be working as one of the most fantasy productive backs in the USFL. So maybe Corbin keeps ripping off a 50-plus yard run every single week. I will happily be fading him at enhanced ownership moving forward, though. And in the passing game, Devin Ross uh, was out there with a the team-high five targets in this one. Lance Lenore continues to get all the air yards, just can't exactly catch the ball in any of them because it's usually not catchable. So with three tight ends consistently involved, Lance Lenore and Devin Ross are the only two guys you can feel somewhat okay about trying to roll with in tournaments, I guess. Even then, though, probably just a passing game to stay away from more weeks than not. So too bad for the fighting Jeff Fisher's 21-yard field goal away from getting back to 500. Uh, maybe they'll just do what they probably should have been doing, man. Maybe the kicker was hurt because there was a point in that game where it was 20... It was 23-all, and then it, like the, they had scored. So um, Michigan had scored to make it 23-all. Then they went for two instead of just kicking the extra point after their kicker missed the extra point to start the game, I believe. So maybe the kicker is just that bad. Maybe he was injured. I, I don't know. If he's that injured, never kick it to begin with. Either way, enough talk about uh, kickers probably. So. Next game up, New Jersey Generals took down the Pittsburgh Maulers 21-13. to DeAndre Johnson got the start finally. First game all season. Still saw some Luis Perez, but for the first time, it really was DeAndre Johnson 70-30 to in favor of him. As the Generals QB1, and honestly, we're going to need to see that number get even closer to 100% if New Jersey wants to reach their overall offensive ceiling. So, second drive of the game, Johnson, more so known as a runner, but number one in the USFL in yards per attempt because of what that rush ability can do to an opposing secondary. If you play man, he can scramble, backs the quarterback, going to make good things happen. If you play 
his own, like what happened on this touchdown. I mean, defenders can just be too concerned about their run fits, getting up there, forcing the edge. And I believe in this situation, Moore's defender was just caught running up the line of scrimmage as Alonzo Moore went right past him for the touchdown. So one of those things where like dual threat quarterbacks kind of get dinged when they kind of have these broken play touchdown passes and blown coverages. But like a lot of that is because of the threat they prevent, they present to defenses in the first place with those legs. So something to keep in mind when discussing, you know, yeah, like Lamar Jackson isn't as good as a passer because he's not exactly being forced to face the same coverages. But like, how's that his fault? He's facing easier coverages because he's a much better athlete than someone, you know, like a Peyton Manning of the world who just can never get outside the pocket in the first place. So got to love every time, you know, we can talk about multiple MVP in the course of a uh, USFL uh, breakdown in here. <laughs> Went ahead, extended their lead after that 15-play, 75-yard drive that took up over 10 minutes on the clock. Wound up being a short seven-yard touchdown run by Cavante Turpin. So just so you guys know, when I throw out these NFL names, I, I fully realize the best USFL player is nothing more than probably a practice squad player in the NFL. But hell, everyone, it's May. It's fun to kind of use players that are more familiar with to help show and prop up some of these talents that are going out there and giving us live football in May. So the USFL version of Debo Samuel is going to be Cavante Turpin, looking like a legit dual threat wide receiver and running back. They actually have even lined him up in the backfield and given him some legit carries previous to this week. More so saw kind of the fly sweeps and just straight up reverses in this one. The seven-yard touchdown run was courtesy of a more traditional uh, reverse. Maulers managed to get their only touchdown in this game, courtesy of Garrett Groshek, just a one-yard plunge from the goal line. But Trey Walker was the one that was really the hero here. Had five catches for 45 yards on a single drive. Ended up with over 100 yards on the day. But my God, everyone, it could have been so much bigger for Trey Walker early on in the game, going deep. Perfect deep ball, actually, from... Um, Oh my goodness. Perfect deep ball from Kyle Luletta. Sorry, the freaking Maulers have been switching up their quarterbacks throughout this year. So Kyle Luletta throws a great deep ball down the middle. Trey Walker was there, hit him in the chest. He had the ball, just couldn't maintain it through contact. Great play by the cornerback to rip it out. Probably could have called a drop if he wanted to. Then Trey Walker makes a great catch down the middle, busts it for a 50-yard touchdown. Illegal illegal blindside block, unfortunately, got that nullified. I mean, I think he scores without the blindside block. I continue to be confused why this is a penalty. I mean, look, everyone, I used to play linebacker, and I got ear hold before, but it was hard to be mad at the blocker for hitting me. I was usually mad at my teammates, usually a cornerback, for not calling out the crack block because – you need to have your head on a swivel. Like, that's that term. You can't just be looking straight ahead at the player chasing the ball blindly without being aware of your surroundings. So I think the illegal blindside blocks are actually a rule that overly helps the defense. I mean, if these players would just be more under control, they wouldn't be getting taken out in the first place. Like, a blindside block, it almost... You would think it's bad because you're saying you're blindsiding someone, but it's a legal block. You're getting out in front of the one. It's not like you're shoving them down from the back and they can't even see you. You are getting your head in front of the player making a legal block. And the fact that that's illegal just because the defender didn't see it coming, like, I don't I don't get that. Why shouldn't the defender just never move their head, stare forward, and anytime someone blocks them, they can just say that they didn't see it. So to me, as someone that likes to give defenses, like, the benefit of the doubt here, I love the penalty 
penalty. Um, not, it's not a penalty, but I love the rule when the offense fumbles it out of the end zone that the other team gets the ball back. It's the end zone. Like, protect the ball better. This, this should not be treated as, like, fumbling it out on the one-yard line. The blindside block to me is weird, though. If it's to the helmet, if you're hitting the guy, if you're legit ear-holding him, that's a penalty. But purely getting your head in front of him, making a legal block to the chest and calling it a penalty because the defender didn't see it coming has never made sense to me. It takes. A, there's a lot of highlight reel blocks there. I guess they're just trying to make the game safe. And if football's safer and the public likes it more that way, fine. You know, I'll take my old man yelling at a cloud hat off here. But I really do just get annoyed at the blindside blocks. But anyway... Good little, uh, you know, rant there. But with Trey Walker, he had those two potential touchdowns. And then a third later in the game would have been tough to keep keep his feet down. Might have been out at the one-yard line anyway. But it could have been a 40-yard touchdown on another well-thrown ball by Kyle Luletta. So Trey Walker, again, over 100 yards. He had 17 targets in this one. Could have had, um, I would say, even two of those touchdowns were realistic catches. So could have been an even bigger game. And that about wraps up uh, the scoring stuff. Darius Victor got a short touchdown later to give the Generals a 21-13 win. Got to give Cabante Turpin and Trey Walker the players of the game, but truly Turpin, 11 carries, 69 yards, and a touchdown on the ground this season. Also 14 catches and 129 receiving yards. Dude looks good with the ball in his hands, and you look at this uh, Generals offense, for them to actually be able to put DeAndre Johnson, Darius Victor, and Turpin out there, I mean, you have a dual-threat quarterback that can get to the edge. Darius Victor is a bowling ball out there. I mean, truly reminds me of, you know, shout-out Doug Martin, the muscle hamster from back in the day. And Turpin is this little gadget they can use for reverses. And, I mean, he's not anyone's, you know... He's not a bitch with the ball in his hands. He can also run through an arm tackle here or there. So with Turpin, Victor, DeAndre Johnson, Trey Williams, when he's going, it's a run-first offense, but it's a diverse run-first offense. And I think they give the defense more problems to worry about than someone like the Maulers, who do also run the ball a fair amount, but they aren't really doing it in as creative of a manner. So shout-out to uh, the Generals coaching staff, Mike Rowley, for making that happen. And with Trey Walker mentioned it, nine catches, 110 yards, could have been much more, though. Defensive player of the game, got to give a shout-out to Maulers linebacker, EJ Ajaya, seven tackles, two for a loss and a pressure. With some fantasy football workload notes, already talked about the DeAndre Johnson-Luis Perez split. It was good to see those dropbacks so close, though. 13 for DeAndre and 14 for Perez. Continued to be a two-running back committee, basically. Pete Guerrero got in there for just a little bit, but Darius Victor taking 10 rushes to Trey Williams, six, and actually working one-for-one one in the passing game. So more weeks than not in the past, Trey Williams have been dominating this usage, and Darius Victor was just kind of making a living on the goal line touchdowns. Victor has looked better throughout the year, though, and he seemingly did get the uh, you know chance to start and lead the way in this one. So Trey Williams had over 100 yards last week. He's not completely out of the picture, but it does seem like Darius Victor might be you know having being the beneficiary of a bit of a changing of the guard in this backfield. At wide receiver, three wide receiver sets, Alonzo Moore, Darius Shepard, and Cavante Turpin. Turpin's usage is so unique that I think he's going to stay out there regardless. Darius Shepard has been good enough this year, and they seem to really go out of their way to get him the ball. Alonzo Moore isn't going anywhere. Just realize he was a backup in the first few weeks of the year when they had healthier numbers. Jamon Moore has been out of the picture uh, with that hamstring injury. So if Jamon is healthy enough to suit up next week, I would not go back to the well with Alonzo Moore in particular. And Randy Satterfield, week one start, now suddenly the odd man out. We've seen this happen on several teams uh, where you think the best guy in week one or week two is in for big things. Ends up not being the case as we get other guys healthier. With the Maulers, 
Kyle Loletta taking every single snap. I don't really know why. I thought Josh Love was the better quarterback, actually was popping in a number of PFF statistics, like big-time throws, and just making plays for an offense that really has been in dire need of playmakers all year long. Wasn't overly impressed with this performance. Again, he did have a handful of nice throws for Trey Walker, uh, but you got to wonder how successful that's going to be down the road. I mean, Trey Walker, 17 targets. No one else on the team even had more than four. It worked well enough in this one, but you got to think that future opponents will have an easier time slowing down one target although we did have bailey gather bailey gather out of the picture with that illness so in future weeks mac walker probably bailey gather going to be the main guys just bad news for delvin hardaway kenneth walker some of these other dudes looking to bust their way into the fold at running back, mentioned Garrett Groshek had the short touchdown. Madri London wasn't as involved this week, but they've done this throughout the year. It's looked like Groshek was the more clear-cut RB1 one week. Next week, London ends up leading the way from snaps and touches. So I still think this is a fairly 50-50 backfield. It just has a little more volatility than some of the other two uh, running back committees in the league. And that's going to about wrap up this one. Again, Mahler's had several chances. I know they're 0-4. They've been in two competitive games, so their offense just really isn't good enough to give them uh, much of a chance. So if their defense can keep the score down, then they have a chance to at least hang in some of these games. Uh, was able to, you know, correctly. 4-0 week against the spread. Everyone, how about that? Good to uh, get that, uh, you know, on the record for this year. But, like, with the Maulers, it was 9.5 last week. And I, I did rank them dead last in my power rankings. But, like, their point differential on the entire season, season going to last week with just eight points so they're bad i don't think they're like oh my god they're gonna lose by 30 points a game bad and we've seen that come to fruition for most of the year Birmingham Stallions took down the Tampa Bay Bandits 16 to 10. This one was largely a snooze. They're just two touchdowns in this entire game. Alex McCoo had a one yard QB sneak. And then we also had an awesome touchdown throw from Jordan Tiamu to get the Bandits into the end zone for the only time all day. Shout out to Rashard Davis on the nice catch as well. But yeah, Tiamu, I mean, this was maybe the best throw of the season. Just being able to extend the play. Looked like he was completely running out of it real estate and just might have to throw the ball into the stands. Found a way to squeeze it into the back of the end zone from nine yards away so nice throw by tiamu but guys I, I couldn't even get an offensive player of the game for this one 251 combined passing yards in this game there were seven sacks so i couldn't give it to the offensive line no individual player had more than 61 rushing or receiving yards like victor was the number one just individual in this game with 61 receiving yards Call it a bad offense, great defense, whatever. Could not get an offensive player of the game in this one. If anyone, it was going to be Alex Magoo, but with the sacks, you know, not taking great care of the ball and just really underwhelming as a whole. Couldn't quite make that tell. But shout out to Stallions Ed's Dondrea Tillman, one of my highlighted top nine players from last week during the first three weeks of the USFL. Five more pressures and a sack to his season-long totals. With the Birmingham offense, Alex Magoo got the start over Jamar Smith. Apparently, it was an illness. We had a report the day before saying he was going to play. It seemed like it was only for emergency purposes, though. So if Smith is over this illness by next week, I would expect expect this to be a platoon of sorts with Magoo. Smith got them that, you know, 3-0 start of the year, but Magoo was their week one starter. So as we see in this league, they have not been afraid to embrace, embrace these two quarterback systems. Now, in week one, Smith did not come in until Magoo actually got hurt in the first place so it sucks because smith really did make the most out of his opportunity i wouldn't be shocked if they do continue to ride with magoo i will largely be fading this quarterback room in fantasy until we get more clarity around who's going to be actually playing the majority of the snaps 
At running back, good news for C.J. Maribel. Still had 17 rushes, three targets on a hefty 75% snap rate, despite Jordan Chun coming back into the picture. As we talked about on our preview episode all season long, Chun had been injured and just not been available. And we saw in uh, Michigan, for example, them go from a two running back committee to a three running back committee once that you know injured practice squatter was eventually activated. So it was good to see Maribel continue to dominate usage, even with Chun in the picture. Now, this was his first week back from injury. It wouldn't be surprised if Chun does take a step forward in the following week. But with these sort of snaps, I mean, it looks like, if anything, Chun's going to be a threat to what Tony Brooks, the few snaps that Tony Brooks James is still playing. Maribel seems cemented as the RB1 in Birmingham. Victor Bolden, Marlon Williams, Osiris Mitchell, 75% or higher higher snap rates. Also had Sage Sherratt with a 94% route rate um, over at tight end. But I think Victor Bolden is just really emerging as the obvious number one in this offense. Was fading him last week with the quarterback issue and just the fact that he had the highest salary. I thought he had too high of ownership uh, to really be worth chasing. But 107 air yards, nine targets. I mean, no one else had more than 16 air yards in this offense. So Bolden has one of those fantasy friendly roles where he's getting a nice floor as you know friendly confines of the slot a lot of the time and just getting uh, the target volume he needs but also has that upside with those air yards we will be going to the well with bold next week after fading him this week with the bandits just a brutal game for this offense they had the awesome drive you know came back right after they uh, gave up their first touchdown of the game. Mentioned Tom it was this fantastic throw he was the quarterback for the full game in this one but just with this a performance that wasn't great. You do wonder if Brady White could be getting another chance here in week five. We saw him briefly coming in week two. It hasn't happened since, uh, but with Tiamu, it's just someone where I love the rushing upside we get. I still believe he is one of the USFL's top quarterbacks, but clearly the Bandits offense isn't quite as lethal as we were expecting in the preseason. At running back, B.J. Emmons continues to work as one of the USFL's overall lead backs, and his rushing just really got messed up by Birmingham dominating the line of scrimmage. Just had nowhere to go. Wouldn't necessarily put that as an indictment on Emmons. Derek Willies, Derek Dillon, easy top two wide receivers, the only guys with a 75% route rate or more. And honestly, Willies is the only one I think worth chasing on a weekly basis. That's the other problem with this passing game. Like, say everything you want about Jordan Tiamu, but they're also rotating six wide receivers, another two tight ends. Derek Willies right now, the only guy we can feel even somewhat good about in Fantasyland. Final one, everybody, New Orleans Breakers took down the Houston Gamblers 23-16. Kyle Sloter, 414 passing yards. The Houston Gamblers, I mean, it was ridiculous. Eric Eager, uh, fellow PFF, USFL diehard, like tweeted this out. Like the Breakers had over 500 yards of offense. Like you did not see these sort of 23 to 16 games. 523 total yards to 155 total yards. Missed field goals, blocked field goals, interceptions. Everything went wrong that could go wrong for this Breakers offense in between them regularly moving the ball down the field through the air. So early on, it was the Gamblers taking the lead after Kyle Sloter's only interception that was purely on him. I know you just look at the box score and you see the three picks. This one was bad. He tried to squeeze, squeeze it into a hole, did not get there in time, and the defender got there. His other two interceptions were the result of a ball got deflected at the line of scrimmage and his receiver falling down slash maybe getting interfered with in the end zone. Accordingly, the ball going to the defender instead of his intended receiver. So early on, gamblers, Joe Joe Ward, someone that I was really high on entering the year just because of some of the things he had managed to do at Hawaii, played week one. 
I believe he got injured. Maybe he was just made inactive, but this was the first time we've seen him. Since then, third and 22, takes a hitch, makes one defender look silly, and then makes another defender look silly, finds his way into the end zone, does like a back handspring. Like just the athleticism on this dude is absolutely crazy. And I hope to continue to get him the ball more. Only had two catches in this one and the other play he was making dudes miss. So hopefully JoJo Ward earned himself a full-time role after this performance. Lord knows the gamblers could use some more consistent offense. Later in the first half, Taiwan Taylor, 27-yard, 25-yard catches on the same drive. Eventually, Jordan Ellis found the end zone from 12 yards out. With TJ Logan still out of the picture, Jordan Ellis is a cemented running back for uh, the breakers and just someone that can get up to that 20-touch mark during any given week. Final touchdown of the game. Just three in this one, but this was entertaining as hell. Just 10 seconds remaining when Jonathan Adams, in my opinion, the best player in the USFL, caught a game-winning 29-yard touchdown. Skied up over the top. The dude, you know, they're not 50-50 balls when they're going to Jonathan Adams. They're more like 80-20 in there. So with Adams, I mean, he was someone, you know, our single highest. I think in my preview article, the only guy I said you should be playing a wide receiver. I know you need to roster more, but we were all in on Jonathan Adams coming off a down week as the number one route runner in this offense and again just as, as i believe the most talented receiver in new orleans so as we'll uh you know get to shout out again Sloter, jordan ellis and jonathan adams for being players of the game but yeah guys like you look at this wide receiver room and at first glance it's not great because jonathan adams 91 percent route rate we can get behind that but giant dixon taiwan taylor and sean poindexter basically forming a small committee with those final three wide receiver spots while sal canella a tight end who's also basically a wide receiver is running an 85 percent route rate just realized though, Dixon, Adams, and Canella are the top three receivers in the entire USFL in terms of total receiving yards. I mean, what Sloter is able to do on offense in a, you know, just on a team that's willing to let him cook is produce all sorts of fancy friendly goodness at wide receivers. So this would be the one team where I'm less worried about these route rates and guys being on the field because with Sloter, you know, that overall passing volume pie, I should say passing production pie we're looking at is so much higher than basically any other team out there. So Taiwan Taylor, 128 air yards. Jonathan Adams Jr., 99 air yards. Sal Canella, 125 air yards. Remember a couple minutes ago, I told you about how what Trey Walker was the only guy with like over 16 air yards on the entire team. Like we have freaking four guys on this single squad with over 75 air yards in a single week of action. So if you're looking for an offense, particularly with Brian Scott now hurt for the Stars, if you're looking for the most lethal passing game in the USFL, look no further than the new Orleans Breakers, led by one, the one, the only Kyle Sloter. So mentioned Jordan Ellis having that every down roll. That is just because, though, of TJ Logan being out. So once Logan is back in the picture, we'll be fading Ellis because he'll be back to being a, you know, lead running back, but in a probable three-back committee. Finally, with the Gamblers, Clayton Thorson continuing to take every snap because Kenji Bahar has been out of the picture with a hand injury. Not doing enough with it, though. I would not be shocked at all. Thorson, we see that snap rate down to more of a 70-80% range once Kenji is healthy enough to return. Mark Thompson got shut the hell down on this one. I gave uh, the Breakers front seven basically just defensive player of the game because 14 carries and just 10 rushing yards. I mean, I believe they only had 28 rushing yards on 20 team attempts total. Wasn't all on Thompson. I mean, he had one nice run called back. We had a vicious stiff arm, had another nice stiff arm highlight later. Just didn't work out for him. But with Thompson, I mean, someone that coming into the week was the USFL's leading rusher and his yards after contact was more than any other player had just total rushing yards. Uh, fully expecting a nice bounce back for him in the coming weeks as he continues to be the undisputed lead running back for the Gamblers. 
at wide receiver, JoJo Ward, Isaiah Zuber, and Anthony Ratliff-Williams. Clear-cut top three options in this passing game after JoJo Ward's this week. Maybe big week. Maybe we go back to the well with Zuber, who just, just keeps scoring touchdowns. I believe this was the first game all year he didn't get one. Also, Anthony Ratliff-Williams continuing to make a good player to every single week. So that is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Hope you guys continue to enjoy the USFL as much as I do. Um, we will have a ton more regular fantasy PFF podcast on the way, courtesy of myself and Dwayne McFarland. Team preview starting next week. Going to be going through a division every single week in addition to some streams, in addition to some questions, and in addition to some more USFL content. So we should have about eight podcasts going out on a weekly basis starting next week. Uh, Dwayne's been chilling in Cancun. Shout out. Wish I was there. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Not quite as cool, but we've had some good weather here as well. So I'm not going to complain too much. So apologies about, you know, this mini lull we're having. I We got through after the draft, went through, you know, all the, the whole AFC, whole NFC to kind of reset everything after the draft, you know, a good four hours of podcast, podcast content there. So just taking the breaks off a little bit, but I do have a special guest on tomorrow. Tomorrow for a podcast and probably get Dwayne on throughout the end of the week um, once he is back. So appreciate the support as always, everyone. I'm Ian Hardis. Thanks again for tuning to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.